0: The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein.
1: I'm Kendra Sheets.
0: And I'm Rich Gill.
1: And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Enough podcast. This is our side piece called Subtext. I am Kendra Sheets, one of your co-hosts.
0: I'm your other co-host, Rich Gill.
1: I threw Rich with that side piece comment.
0: You guys should have seen (laughs) his face. I was not not (laughs) expecting that. That was great.
1: And we're being silly on a Sunday. (laughs) Um, So we have more energy than normal, I guess. Uh, So we are here today... As kind of a follow-up to an episode that we did earlier this year, episode 30, which was all about trauma therapy. And in that episode, we talked about uh, how we would do a follow-up for anyone who is not able to easily access therapy. In that, we talked a lot of different types of trauma, uh, EMDR and CBT. And we said that we would be doing a follow-up about other...
0: Resources,
1: Yeah, resources, great reads, and anything else we could kind of put together for people who can't readily head out to the therapist. And that is this episode. We are going to start today by talking about something that came out just about a month ago. It is about 35 minutes long. It is a completely monologue dialogue from Kevin Smith, well-renowned writer, director, overall silent podcast.
0: Silent, silent bobist. <laughs> that's great. He's the world's foremost silent bobist.
1: That's right. If you head over to YouTube and go to People's, not The People, but People Magazine's uh, YouTube channel, we'll link it below. He has a piece that he's done, again, about 30 minutes long, 35 minutes. It's called Trauma is Trauma. And that's where we're going to be starting today. So if you would like to follow along and not feel lost for the next couple of minutes, put our podcast on pause, head over to YouTube. Drink a Yohoo. You drink a Yuho. God damn it. <laughs> Head over to YouTube and uh watch that and then come back over and we will continue this conversation.
0: Okay. Have you watched it now? Are you are you done? <laughs>
1: we hope so, because you're gonna be lost.
0: <laughs> what a ride, right? Holy cow. So a couple of things I want to bring up about this before I get to um my main crux of what I want to say about it. First of all, in a month, it has 663,000 views, which...
1: If we don't make it to 666, I'm going to be really sad.
0: um, There should be way more eyes on this. You know, Kevin Smith is a hugely well-known director, writer, silent (laughs) Bobist. People Magazine is a hugely well-known publication. You know, this is another conversation normalizing mental health and sexual trauma and all of the things that we cover on here that for some reason, people still are nervous to talk about for various reasons, which is understandable, but you know, these conversations need to be normalized. And I think this video that he chose to do is another step in that direction. And there are two things that he brought up, especially that we've covered on this show before that I am really glad He said, because it's not something that is necessarily well-known by the general public. You know, everyone knows about fight or flight. And the two other trauma responses that he brings up that we talk about are fawn and freeze. And those are totally valid, legitimate responses to being in, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like fucked up situations. Like not everyone is going to just fight or not everyone is just going to run away you know, sometimes you freeze up, you don't know what to do, or you do whatever you can to make the situation that you're in pass without you getting hurt, Fawn. The other thing he brought up that I think is very important is the effect that trauma has on the brain. It doesn't matter what kind of trauma it is, it all affects the brain the same way. And we've talked about on the show before trauma Olympics, you know, and that's what that is. You know, people saying, Oh, this happened to me, but it wasn't as bad as this thing that happened to the other person, this other person, your brain doesn't know that it processes all trauma the same way. And I think that's very important because again, that's another way that people who, um, have assaulted or harassed or cat called people will use as a justification. Like, well, it wasn't that bad. I didn't like, you know, rape this person. I just catcalled them or made them uncomfortable. Like your brain processes all of that the same. So those are kind of the two big things that I wanted to mention. I'm sure Kendra has <laughs> more.
1: Yeah, I have a few. Uh kind of as Rich said, he he does a really good job of destigmatizing the concerns with mental health, right? Like he talks a lot about how physical health and mental health are the same. And I think, you know, we've touched on that before too. Like to me, I don't know why there's a divide. Mental health is your brain. Your brain lives in your body. It's technically your physical health. Yeah. Cause it's like part of your body and your body makes your brain work. So like why are they separate? He doesn't dive into it like hugely, but like it's it's talked about in a neutral enough way that's very accessible. Like he is a great storyteller. We all know that, right? Like It's interesting because when this first came out, Rich sent it to me and I didn't watch it at first because I was like, I don't know, he sent me some Kevin Smith video. And like, I don't love Kevin Smith. I did not love Kevin Smith. His brand of movie is not really my favorite. But he talks about something in this video that maybe gave me kind of a a flag of why I didn't really love him before. But I because I love him in this video. He talks a lot about how because of what happened to him in his youth and because of the different traumas that he faced. And he's faced a few. Like he talked about kind of an issue with playing doctor when he was very young. He talked about a teacher making fun of his weight at a younger age and how both of those affected him, as Rich was saying, very similarly. When we say, you know, there's no black and white, you know, or not everything's black and white. With trauma, it kind of is. Your body takes it as like a personal offense to your system. It is a danger. And it doesn't matter if that danger is war, or if the danger is a teacher mocking your exterior appearance. You know, it it affects you internally the same way. It affects your brain and your body, therefore, because they're tied in the same way. Because of these traumas that he had in his life, uh, in his younger years, his formative years, he started to create this person that was what he calls the other guy. And it's the idea of like, well, you're not going to talk to me about how fat I am. I'm going to talk to you about how fat I am first. so you can't hurt me. And I think a lot of us have done that navigating society is hard and you don't want people to hurt you and anytime you invite someone new into your realm there's a possibility for that and putting himself in such a public sphere as directing and he speaks to this as well um, which I also thought was very interesting he had a lot of people kind of throw his sense of control out of his own orbit as a child he had a lack of control so he grew up to be a director a person who is completely in control of not only himself but everyone around him I was able to relate to that because I am a manager. My job is to micromanage people and things all day long. And I feel very comfortable in my role. But when I go out outside of that and I have to deal with other people that I don't have that kind of quote unquote control over, that's when my weird social anxiety starts to spit out of control. Because, I mean, while well, you never really have control of another person, like you kind of do at your job when you do these things, right? So his idea is the same. So he started creating this other guy. And this other guy's fake this other guy is you know the guy who sells the t-shirts the guy who turns everything into a money-making process the guy who figures out every way to make fun of kevin smith the person before anyone else can and he basically says that the other guy took over for so long and for so much that he became the other guy so much so that he actually had a mental breakdown and he had to be taken to a facility thinking that he it had a break with reality Kevin Smith the human no longer existed that it was just the other guy and he had to be talked out of that when he was at this facility out in Arizona and so my thought was this version I'm seeing on YouTube who the person I relate to a lot more the person I'm really enjoying telling this story while it is a very harrowing tale is a lot more real to me than this other person of Kevin Smith that I saw all these other years maybe I just didn't like the other guy and I didn't really realize it before. I don't know, but I sure as hell like this version of him a lot better. He's a very honest and he relays his story and his truth in a way that is, it's easy. It's easy to comprehend. It's easy to relate to. It's done in a neutral way. So you're not really triggered by any of the things he's talking about. It's just relatable.
0: So this is something that I wasn't necessarily planning on bringing up in this. But um, when I was watching this, like the first five minutes of it, I had a very like, Visceral. I'm actually. It's it's happening right now. It's so weird. I had like a very like visceral physical reaction to him telling that story, because almost the exact same thing happened to me when I was his age, and it's something He's I've 52. only. Fifty you two. No, know, when what happened to him when he was younger?
1: Oh, I was like Rich. You are not fifty two. I know. I make fun oh. of you a lot, but you are not that age yet.
0: <laughs> that. The thing that happened to I him understand. when he was six. Okay, it was what it was like. Oh my god, I'm feeling like very triggered. Like this has not happened ever that I can remember in a situation like this, where it's like I know exactly what he's talking about. I've been in that situation before, that exact situation. Um, and my mom is going to listen to this, and I don't know if she even knows this because I haven't like, told anyone. So that'll be interesting. And this is a story I was going to bring up when you know I did my episode of enough, but I think it is something that as much as we say, like, there's always someone who's been through what you've been through, you know, you're not alone in any of it. And to hear someone else like say that out loud was like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I'm not the only person that this happened to. And, um, I think that's a huge part of, you know, what makes this youtube video so great
1: it's similar to like when a lot of people came forward with me too of how i felt and how a lot of my other uh femme friends felt because i i can't speak to being a male but i'm assuming that you don't probably have as much in common with some of the ladies in hollywood who came forward in the me too movement with harvey weinstein
0: not 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 a ton
1: yeah (laughs) but it, it was kind of the same thing where you're like oh shit these Millionaire actresses have dealt with this to get to where they are in their career, or at the detriment of their career, depending on how it played out. And I think we've all had some sort of issue, you know, in the music scene where, you know, you want to get an interview and you get the interview, and then you're a groupie slut. And you're like, well, I didn't sleep with anyone. They're like, well, you were at the bar with that person. But yeah, I think, like Rich was saying, it's it's relatable in a lot of ways, you know, I. I think a lot of people have had that kind of playing doctor moment. I think a lot of people have, you know, and it got normalized. And he talks about how he felt like it was normal because he knew other people who went through that, but not the exact situation that he did, which was more violent than just kind of a, you show me yours, I'll show you mine little kid situation, which I think a lot of us have been part of.
0: Yeah. And that was sort of, you know, when I started going to therapy, I had brought up to my therapist like because of some of the specific issues that I was dealing with, I was like, you know, I feel like in some ways I was kind of like sexualized or like exposed to this stuff like too young. And I brought up, you know, a couple situations like, you know, finding a box of Playboys in the woods, which is what a lot of us used to find in the 80s. Who was storing their porn in the woods? Dude, it was an 80s thing. I know multiple people who have the story of, Finding a box of porn in the woods or like, you know, the playing doctor thing. But when I brought up this other situation of like an older kid, uh, making me and someone else do things to each other, my therapist was just like, that is not normal. So yes, I can see how that would sort of affect how you are in certain situations after that.
1: He talks about numbing himself out to a lot of these things. And as like a somewhat recently sober person who was also numbing herself out to not just the things that she dealt with, like sexual trauma wise, but just anxiety and emotional wise for a really long time. It was really cool to have him say like, well, first of all, I don't know if you all know this, but Silent Bob was not smoking a lot of weed during those first movies of Silent Bob smoking weed. He didn't really start until later and he jokes about this and says like he started it way late in his career and then it became a thing where it was like a full-on necessity right because he said it does it was a really good job of kind of wrapping up the wound temporarily but the wound kept bleeding so you had to keep wrapping it and adding more and adding more right and then like it worked for a while but ultimately it didn't really fix the problem and He said, you know, very specifically, like, I don't want to be numb anymore. So I've decided to quit doing this. It's really helpful until it's not. It was one of the things. And I I felt the exact same way with like a lot of the stuff that I was doing. It was fucking fun until the next day. And it was super helpful in that exact moment. And then you're still, you know, you still end up waking up by yourself on your couch with a hangover and all that shit starts creeping back in and you solved nothing. You just pushed it down and covered it up temporarily, tried to drown it. You know, with a bunch of alcohol and like it's still in there if you don't work on it it's not going anywhere and you're going to end up in that kind of cycle that he found himself in
0: also in his situation being a hollywood director who makes movies about stoners and dick jokes like it's very easy to just be like i smoke weed all the time because look at my movies like this is what they're about like i'm just like a stony guy seth rogan <clears throat> exactly yes you know, you being someone who's like, I'm out at shows and I take pictures and I interview bands and stuff. Of course, you're going to like have cocktails or, you know, whatever, when you're hanging cocktails. out.
1: Cocktails. That sounds, makes me sound fancy, Rich. Yeah, I
0: know. Of course, you're going to pound brews and like.
1: I was, I was going to say, I was like sucking beer off a bar with a straw. <laughs>
0: I was trying to, I was trying to fancy up a little
1: bit. it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to like get drunk and like be crazy and whatever, um. And a lot of that is because it's people sort of numbing that pain or trauma that they've been through. And like you said, it works and it's easy to get away with because of the lifestyle that a lot of us live until it no longer works and you can't get away with it and it doesn't help anymore.
1: Right. And, you know, you may not be to the level that he gets to, right? He has a complete break with reality. But like something probably is going to happen at some point. I mean, one way or another, whether you're self-medicating or not, like if you don't start taking care of your shit, your brain's going to catch up to you eventually. That's what it does. You know, it. I, I got tired of being anxious in social situations. I got tired of hiding in my car and having like a panic attack, thinking about going in front of a group that I thought in my head was like all pointing at me and laughing because of whatever the situation was. And then I would go in and execute the night flawlessly. And then I would come home and spend three hours thinking about every single thing I said and how everyone hates me. Like, that's not normal. It shouldn't be normal. You should be able to, like, enter a social situation and be like, eh, eh, fuck them. They don't like me. Whatever. That's normal. I guess. I mean, maybe. Maybe it's not normal right now, but it should be normal.
0: (laughs) Nothing is normal after the last three or four years that we've had. Like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the other know, thing. If you don't know enter
1: a social situation, no one's going to be upset with you because I don't want to be around people most of the time anymore anyway. <laughs> but, so I think, you know, take take what he says to heart if you possibly can. And he does, you know, uh, suggest that people go and get help to whatever options they possibly have. And that's what the rest of this episode is going to be. It's going to be Rich and I kind of shooting back and forth some of the books that have really helped us out. And giving you a quick review of why they help, what they're about, and um, maybe you could pick them up local library. Obviously available on Amazon. I don't want to trump up Jeff Bezos, but you know, they're online. Find them online, or your library.
0: The first book that I'm going to talk about is um, called "We Will Not Cancel Us" by Adrian Marie Brown, and um, I'm kind of I'm going to just read the the back cover sort of synopsis from it. In "We Will Not Cancel Us," Movement mediator Adrian Marie Brown reframes the discussion for us in a way that points to possible paths beyond our impasse. Most critiques of cancel culture come from outside the milieu that produces it, sometimes even from its targets. Brown explores the question from a black, queer, and feminist viewpoint that gently asks, how well does this practice serve us? Is it prefigure the sort of world we want to live in? And if it doesn't, how do we seek accountability and redress for harm in ways that reflect our values? So the thing that I find very interesting about this book is that it has been, I've seen it recommended from both sides of the quote unquote cancel culture wars. And I think that's very interesting because a big thing that is talked about in this book is accountability. And admitting that we have all probably hurt other people in some way because we're human and we're flawed. And that's just the reality of being a human person. You're going to hurt people sometimes without realizing it sometimes with realizing it, but taking that accountability and admitting that is a big part of this. And what I've seen a lot is the side of for lack of a better term, the canceled a lot of times just want you want to use this blanket statement of canceling being bad. And it's always a terrible thing. Uh, when people are canceled, um, when a lot of times the people who are sort of getting canceled have not taken any accountability. They've not made any effort to seek forgiveness, no effort to make amends. So that's what this book talks a lot about is taking accountability and apologizing and things like that and you know that yes in situations like that maybe canceling whatever that term even means um is not the most positive way forward you know it covers a lot of ground in a short period of time it's like 75 pages long it's something you can get through in an afternoon
1: it's a quick read and it, it reads really well too i've read this f- too. Does. Yeah, it goes fast and it gives you a lot of information, but not in a way that you're not able to easily digest it. You don't have to stop and be like, oh, breather Mm -hmm. time. Like you're reading it and you're just kind of like, "Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully you're saying that.
0: (laughs) Totally. And it covers, you know, a lot of ground. There's a chapter on abolitionism. There's a chapter specific to call out culture in the age of COVID, what to do and questions to ask when you are uh, asked to take part in a call out it covers a lot and it's especially in this day and age where so many artists and people period are getting you can call it called out called in whatever term you want to use this is a good not even handbook but just maybe a different way of looking at what cancel culture is what it means in this day and age and especially as a white person reading it it brings up things that are not part of my lived experience and that I have not experienced, cannot experience. So I think it's great for you know everyone who maybe has questions about this or feels conflicted about what this actually means in the world today. But you don't have to take my word for it.
1: <laughs> it's on AK Press too, right? I was
0: just going to say, it's available on AK Press, so you don't need to support Jeff Bezos for this one. You do So... Go to akpress.com. That's right. (laughs) Sorry. And one other thing, one line that uh, really stuck out to me about it, and I think this sort of sums up a lot of it, canceling is punishment, and punishment doesn't stop the cycle of harm.
1: Yep. So my first book that I'm recommending, I would feel absolutely amiss if I didn't add this to the list. I feel like this is the Bible for trauma. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And if you don't know about it, you don't have an Instagram, a TikTok, a Facebook reel, something or another. And you definitely haven't been like watching TV for the past few years because this book blew up over the last few years. I'm going to bastardize this guy's name. His name is Bessel A. Vanderkolk, I believe.
0: That is a fantastic name for an author.
1: Yes, it is. And so basically... The book teaches the reader what happens when a person experiences trauma. Um, it talks about on a, bo- on a body sense, right? Like what happens to your brain? What happens to your body? And it also talks about how therapists help people recover from their trauma. He talks about it from a firsthand point of view because he is a therapist who has done this. He's worked with uh, War Vets. That's how the book starts out, talking about how... Um, Kind of, They wouldn't let him in at first because he wasn't part of the crew and they wouldn't really want to talk about anything until they felt comfortable. And then eventually he found ways to kind of include himself in their almost like their platoon, really, for lack of a better word. And once he became part of the group, then they would open up and talk to him. But it had to be something that was a community like that. They did not feel comfortable otherwise. And then he realized the ways that they were discussing their trauma were standoffish almost they would talk about the experience but not the emotional experience of what they dealt with um so he dives into this in great detail it covers my very favorite subject emdr which also kevin smith does touch on as well he talks about it he says it's good and he says it works
0: it always comes back to that
1: it does i love me some emdr They also talk about yoga and um, your support system and mindfulness and just different aspects of how to recover from intense trauma or just like as Rich and I were talking about, you know, trauma is intense no matter what. It doesn't have to be a big time thing. And they talk about the mind body connection, kind of like we were just talking about with Kevin Smith as well. You know, physical and mental health are, are all together as one. It also discusses about how you can find how your emotions are affecting your body. And how, you know, deeply how past traumas affect your physical, like from the neck down health, right? Like why you experience a trigger. What is a trigger? And he doesn't call it that per se, but that's what it is. It's why when you see something, you have a guttural response to it and you're like, I'm not even involved in this. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. It's because your brain's firing through those traumas. They're living in your brain and in your body if you don't work through them. Um, This book goes into great detail kind of about the info session of, like, what is a trauma and then, like, how people work through it. For me, personally, like, I'm the only one who knows my body. I already know to the best of my ability how to take care of myself, hopefully. I learn a little bit more every day. But, like, I want to know what I'm dealing with. So as I am starting to work on these things, I can take the ad information and apply it to myself in the way that I best function. I think this book is a great starting point for that.
0: Two thumbs way up. Yes. From Kendra Sheets. That's right. Okay. Moving on to the next book we have here. This one is one that a lot of you are familiar with. A lot of you have heard about. The Bible. We've talked about it multiple times. (laughs) It's written by Jesus Christ. um, (laughs) And it's called The Bible. Part one. (laughs) The early years. B.C. B.C. This book is called making spaces safer, a guide to giving harassment the boot wherever you work, play and gather by Shauna Potter, former guest of the enough podcast and front woman for war on women. This book is literally the instruction manual for making spaces safer. It covers everything from again, accountability, which is a big thing that we talk about it covers bystander intervention, which is very important. And there's even an entire chapter on how to flirt without being a creep, which as I'm sure Kendra kind of tests to that should be required reading for many, if not all men in the indie punk, whatever you want to call it. Ska scene. So the other thing is we talk a lot on here about how fucking terrible and interchangeable all of these pseudo, not really, kind of, sort of, not at all apologies are. And again, there is literally a chapter on how to apologize. So lots of useful information in here. There's several easy to follow suggestions on making spaces safer, both as individuals, as well as organizations. If you work at a venue, if you run a venue, or if you run a coffee shop, Everything from big venues to punk squats, like there's stuff in it for all of you. There's, uh, examples of posters that you can hang up. There's templates for codes of contact and even internal documents for staff and team members of the venue. I was a member of a Minneapolis safer spaces initiative group that was comprised of band members, venue representatives, promoters, and people from the survivor community. And we used this book several parts of it when drafting our proposed citywide venue code of conduct. This book was basically our Bible for that. And as Shauna said, when we had her on as a guest, this isn't stuff that she wrote or came up with on her own. This is pulled from a variety of sources that already existed out there because, you know, a lot of this stuff exists. So why, you know, rewrite the book? But it's been scattered in different places and hard to find and on websites and, you know, all over the place. So she kind of just pulls it all together, puts it in one easy to digest manual. And it's great if you're just someone who goes to shows or if you're someone who puts on shows, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So two thumbs way up. This book is also available from AK press. So again, you do not have to support Jeff Bezos. You can get it from independent book manufacturers and distributors.
1: And my next one also has a very long title. It is, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And that's by Mark Woollian. So this book has won all types of awards and it was translated into like a, over 30 languages. So oh I God. would say it's probably another heavy hitter in the scene of books, self-help book style. And it's it's about how the traumas of our parents, their parents, and even their parents. So we're going grand, I think great grand, all are, their traumas are kind of thrown upon us through secondary PTSD. Um, And it teaches us basically how you live with these traumas every day and how to become aware of them. When you are aware of them, kind of like I was just talking about before with the body keeps the score, when you're aware of what that is, then you're able to live more openly and address those things more openly. And they teach you how to do so. One of the things that I think is absolutely bizarre, but also really interesting is that it teaches you how to map out events in your family history that are traumatic to see how they basically go through your like a genealogy map of trauma. Yeah. And then you can see how your personality kind of traits play into certain things. Like, I mean, like a lot of people in America, we're immigrants, right? And how far back are your immigrant grandparents or great grandparents? And what did they bring over? And the Great Depression happened. And. Because of that, my family acts this way or that way in regards to saving things or keeping value on items. And while those things aren't exactly traumatic, they change how you function. You can also kind of create your own version of trauma in the way that you react to other things in your life with those familial traits inside of you that are generations old. It also teaches one of my favorite topics, which is how to create uh, and recreate new neural pathways in the brain, which I think is one of just the best, most interesting things. Um, It's so important and it's so cool. And it basically means that nothing that we do or we feel or we say is set in stone. You know, nothing that we experience has to continue to be negative. You don't have to keep beating a dead horse of negativity and being like, well, this is it. This is just how my life has to be. It helps us realize that If you recreate these neural pathways and you can improve one by one and make your life better, then you have the power to completely change who you are and how you function as a person. And you can break these generational cells of inherited trauma or behaviors or anything, really. Uh, You just have to learn how to forge those new pathways. And this book addresses that, too. So big fan.
0: (laughs) So the last book that I am going to talk about is possibly... Kendra, what year did the books you talked about come out? Are they fairly recent?
1: Um, relatively. I don't have them with me, but I know that um, I want to say God Keeps the Score is 2012, and I think it didn't start with you, 2000 and something. Okay. The last 20 years.
0: Yeah. So this book is probably the oldest book that we're going to talk about. Um, it was first published. The Bible. In- <laughs> it was first published. In nineteen eighty nine, and it's called The Bible. And its author is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, second edition. Second edition. Nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. First edition came out in one million BC. Second BC. edition, nineteen eighty nine. So
1: they updated two or three
0: things. Yeah, that's it. Times um, have <laughs> They got one location wrong when they were talking about the three wise men. And then the other the other one was. A spelling error. Mary Magdalene. There is an I in there instead of an E. Yeah. So, so the, this book is called uh, "Refusing to Be a Man: Essays on Sex and Justice" by John Stoltenberg. So, being that this book is from 1989, uh, some of it is very much dated, and you know maybe does not apply anymore. There are also personal essays, so it's while there is some, you know, citations of academic text and stuff like that. A lot of it is just his personal feelings on stuff. And it gives kind of an interesting perspective of where we are versus where we were as a society back in the eighties. Some things are exactly the same. There's a whole section about men making laws about abortion, wanting to, you know, write into the constitution that a few weeks old cluster of cells counts as human life, you know, that is a conversation that has been going on forever. I don't know if it will ever not be a conversation. Uh, it's still things that are being fought against today. Some of the things are very ahead of their time. You know, he talks about how gender exists on a spectrum, which is not something that was discussed very widely in the eighties or nineties. You know, he talks about how we sort of live in a two gender, uh, society. That is not necessarily the fact when it comes to humans. So I thought, you know, stuff like that, I think, is very interesting, how it's a little bit ahead of its time and talking about things that later on will become normalized conversation. I don't agree with everything that he says, especially some of his views on pornography. I will say this is, again, coming from the 80s, when pornography was overwhelmingly negative and anti-woman. Before, I
1: thought you were going to say pornography was uh, overwhelmingly kept in the woods. (laughs) In the eighties. I don't appreciate his views of keeping his porn in the woods. Not into that.
0: Um, for some reason he talks about he In the drawer. Keeping pornography in the house when we all know it's <laughs> kept in the woods underneath some tree stumps. So I can't say I agree with that. But yeah, so it's, you know, overwhelmingly negative, understandably. Now there are, you know, woman owned porn companies pornography made specifically for women, for gender, queer people. It's again, it exists on a spectrum and not so much the case, uh, back in the eighties. So, yeah, the, the fact that, you know, two of my favorite bands were 15 and Propaganda. Both of those bands cite this book in lyrics or liner notes. And that got me very interested in exploring who was this author? What, what is this book about? And I think that's a big thing that art and music and literature should do, especially when you're kind of young and discovering yourself, Um, make you think about things in a different way, lead you into other pieces of art and music and literature that you weren't aware of before. And in a way, that's sort of what this podcast episode is doing also. Hmm.
1: Tying it all together.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Kendra, bring us home. Oh, this book is not available on AK Press. It's only available on Amazon. And it's also, I believe, out of print. So if you want to pay $50 on Amazon for it, you can do that.
1: You can also scourge the internet. There might be a PDF uploaded somewhere.
0: I was just going to say, if you want to pirate it, we are not anti-piracy when it comes to learning things, especially from out-of-print books.
1: Speaking of being uh, not anti-piracy, this is a book that I stole from Borders when I used to work there. It's called The Gift of Fear. It's by Gavin De Becker, and it's a little different than the other ones I talked about. It's kind of like Rich's book. Like, there's, there's info in there that I think is really beneficial, but there's also stuff which, if you read it the wrong way, I think it can, like, lead into a lot of fear-mongering. The reason the book was written, the idea behind it, is to recognize the difference between your gut instinct which is something that i don't really trust a lot of my time and i should and i've realized with my my as my elder years are approaching there were a lot of times where like i felt like a scenario was bad but i didn't know why and i kept up with it anyway and either something bad happened to me in the situation or to people around me and if i leaned into my gut instinct i would have been able to stop something from happening before or remove myself or my my people from the situation So he talks a lot about gut instinct and like what really fear is in the body and why it happens. And it goes through scenarios of people who did and didn't listen to that internal fear and kind of what happened to them. So again, like if you read it the wrong way, it can be really fear mongery. But if you take it kind of in a neutral tone, knowing that that was the intent, we're talking about fear something that can be, you know, it can be seen from either side, you know, it can be politicized as well, as we've seen recently. So it's trying to teach you basically how to recognize those things in yourself and so how you can not end up doing what I've done for so long, which is drink it away or hop on your phone and scroll it away and then something bad ends up happening. You can listen to yourself, your internal monologue, your internal feelings, and be like, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. If you read this one, take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of negative news that we have in this kind of dangerous culture that we're, we're in, but I think that there are are a lot of really good things in this book. It kind of ties into what I had mentioned before, this kind of secondary PTSD, this generational trauma. Some of your fear and your gut instinct comes from those things, from ancestors and grandparents. And, and you know, it's why people are scared of spiders, why people are scared of snakes. Certain people aren't scared of bears, but other people can't stand water or heights. I think all three of the books that I picked are about learning about yourself. They teach you ways to understand certain aspects of people. And everyone deals with those aspects differently. But if you can recognize them in an informational basis, then you can try and look inward and kind of pick those out of yourself. And then you can learn more about how you function with those and how to navigate through situations. It's good. Again, take it with a grain of salt, but I think it's a decent read.
0: And this is just a small selection of stuff that we think would be helpful to our listeners and people in general. We hope to maybe do some more of these where we talk about documentaries or TV shows or other podcasts that um, we think sort of tie into what we're doing here. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.